There's a lot of waste that come out of industries that keep the cogs turning in our society. But waste not want not, because there are also a lot of people working to close the loop by turning that waste into new resources. Professor Candice Leslie Gilead Abdulaziz leads the Sustainable Lab. Join us as we speak about science entrepreneurship and how we can engineer sustainable solutions out of waste in industry. I'm Michelle Ong, and this is Steam Powered. Good morning, Leslie. Thank you so much for joining me today on Steam Powered. I'm really looking forward to having you talk about your journey today. Yeah, so thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here. Yeah, amazing. So yeah, we'll get started with your journey. And you began in chemistry, but what attracted you to that field? Yeah, actually, um, it's very funny uh, because in high school, I was never attracted to chemistry. You know, I wasn't attracted to how it was taught and uh, Bunsen burners and all these different types of things. And it, it wasn't until the last year of high school where I took a pharmacology class and I saw how biochemistry was really interesting and how drugs interact with our body. And so that really piqued yeah. my interest because it was an application of chemistry. And so when I went to college um, at Temple University that's located in Philadelphia, I majored in first biochemistry, but realized I didn't like the bio part. And then <laughs> I decided to major in chemistry, which I've been really enjoying. That's really awesome. So where did you think you would be taking this, you know, specialization in this field? Yeah, when I was a student um, undergraduate, um, I think a lot of people think, uh, well, I'll be a medical doctor. So that was my first thought. And then I thought, well, I wouldn't be interested in the medical field, especially because I don't like the bio part. Um, yep. But I started to get into chemical research, um, in particular, um, using computers to do like um, quantitative chemistry. So nice. trying to predict what molecules would do when they're excited with light, but doing that using a, a computer software. And I really love that because that intertwined two things that I loved about um, the classes that I were taking in my major, which was math and chemistry. And yeah. so I thought during that time, maybe I would become a chemical researcher um, after I graduate college. And of course, my career trajectory didn't take me directly there. <laughs> um, yep. But that, that's what I was thinking about, that eventually I'll be a chemical researcher and, and study cool things about molecules. That's amazing. And, you know, so after that, you know, you did do some research work, but then you went into forensics, which I think yeah. is very cool. I love forensics. So how did that happen? Yeah. Um, uh, so I decided to, after college, I was just, I just wanted a break. I didn't want to go directly into graduate school. Um, and actually it was supposed to be like a one or two year break. And I, it, it turned out to be five years, <laughs> what I wouldn't suggest for a lot of people because, you know, it took a lot to get back into things. Um, but initially after I graduated, I worked at a chemical refinery, which was in a small neighborhood of Bridesburg in Philadelphia. And there I was an analytical chemist for about two years. And then after that, I got into forensic chemistry, um, which was really cool. And my area of specialization was in drug chemistry. So every time an officer would make an arrest, they would retrieve either cocaine, marijuana, um, all of these different illicit drugs 
they would bring it in and we would analyze them, analyze the composition and confirm that they were actually illicit drugs or not. That's very cool. So, mm-hmm. you know, with that kind of work, I mean, it, it's obviously because it's an amazing application of the chemical chemistry side of yeah. you know, all the stuff that we do in the real world. But, you know, was there anything in particular that, you know, fascinated you most about doing the forensics? Um, I, so I, I, you know, (laughs) I never saw drugs before. So initially that was really interesting. So I was like, oh, this is is heroin. This is cocaine. Wow. This is, uh, you know, uh, you know, marijuana plants, you know, a whole slew of them. Sure. Um, So (laughs) that was pretty exciting at first. Um, But I think, (laughs) yeah, at first. And then. That that actually became monotonous because then it was like, oh, heroin. <laughs> oh, okay, cocaine again. All right. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. So um, that that was initially the exciting thing about um, doing this job was like it was applied chemistry, but wow, mm. I was learning these different things. And I think what I most enjoyed about that particular position um, was learning about different. Uh, drugs that um, were um, being used. So Mm. Philadelphia at the time, that's the department that I worked for, started to get synthetic marijuana. So I was one of the first forensic chemists that developed a protocol in actually analyzing this because this was a new substance in the laboratory and a few laboratories were learning about, you know, what is synthetic marijuana, what's contained in them. And it's actually Mm. very complex. And so I really enjoyed developing the protocol for studying that new illicit drug. So that was really one of the highlights of working at the forensic lab. Yeah. And just, yeah, because you are going to be in a space where you'll be encountering all of these new things that are happening, you know, in society, yeah. you know, having access to the products to see, you know, what are people doing with these things? What is it? Yeah. Like, how does it, how do they make it work? That, yeah, that to me is fascinating because people come with fascinating ways of doing weird things. Yeah. So <laughs> <laughs> as part of that, like you, you would have developed other things as well. And uh, I think you developed, these sensors for developing narcotics as well. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So that actually occurred um, in graduate school. So Ah. right after, so while I was a forensic scientist, while it was initially thrilling to see heroin, cocaine, (laughs) and marijuana, after a while, it just got monotonous. And And I knew that, (laughs) yeah, and then I wanted to do more. And so I just decided to go back to graduate school and I went back to, um, University of Illinois in Urbana-Champaign, right in the Midwest of the United States. And I, you know, majored in chemistry. My my goal was to earn a Mm -hmm. PhD in chemistry. But at the same time, what was gnawing back at me was um, what officers had challenges with while they were on the beat and how that influenced chemists while we were in a laboratory. Um, So one of the things was uh, these officers, they would have these uh, liquid tests to test illicit drugs. So if they expected Mm. that you were carrying cocaine or marijuana, they would use these, these little tests and they would tell them whether it's positive or not for that. The issue is, is that it has a high false positive rate, um, for some of those tests it's above 50%. 
And wow. so, yeah, so we would get rare things in the laboratory that really wasn't drugs. Um, there was a really famous case years ago um, in which organic soaps were tested as cocaine. And a lady was arrested wow. at the airport um, for thinking that she, I guess, had bricks of cocaine. And actually, it was just organic soap. <laughs> um, yeah. I've, I've received weird um tests. I, I've actually received a bottle that was just filled with urine, but officers thought it was, you know, PCP. And so um, that, that kept on gnawing at me because at, this, at the time that I was a forensic chemist, the Philadelphia department had a big backlog of thousands yeah. of cases. And so I thought maybe if I can make this more efficient, that we wouldn't have this big backlog, we can be on top of these different cases. And so- yeah. And during graduate school, I started a company called Nardo Technology. Nardo because I really, at the time, I, I admired Leonardo da Vinci because he had a very interesting life, uh, very yes. complicated life. Um, and, and so I, I started that company, Nardo Technology, and it was essentially turning um, Android phones into chemical sensors. So we would attach... Nice an um, electrochemical sensor to the headphone jack of a Samsung Android phone or any type of Android phone and yeah. interface it with a software. And that software will allow us to improve the results for drug analysis. That's very, very cool. Yeah. Yeah. Because it, it's one of the things where it is going to be tedious and time consuming and there's so yeah. much inefficiency in you know, all of that kind of work and mm -hmm. you could be doing better things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, yeah. you know, the idea was just to make officers' jobs easier, right? I mean, the, the yeah. point of them using these little simple tests, even though they had a high false positive rate, was that they were very simple to use. And it would just yeah. either tell them yes or no, whether this is what they expected it to be. And, and so, yeah. you know, I, I created that company with that goal in mind. Yeah. Absolutely. Well... Necessity is the mother of invention, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so where did you go from there after you did invention? Like why, why didn't you pursue this, you know, business entrepreneurial aspect? Yeah. So um, I pursued that closer to the end of my graduate career. So, you know, I graduated in 2017 with a PhD. I started the entrepreneurial um company around 2015, at the end of 2015. And by the end of 2016, it became clear that it would be difficult to monetize this pro product. And this yeah. is the reason why. So I went through this program, I received seed funding of like 50k. And it was really for customer discovery, understanding mm. who would be in the market, who would purchase these um, what's the ecosystem looks like if we did have these products out on the, on the street with the yeah. officers. And what we found was that in particular, a lot of the jurisdictions had a lot of red tape. And that meant oh. that new technology, um, there was a huge barrier for the adoption of new technology. And in fact, you know, the use of new technology in the, in the police departments here um, somehow corroborated with huge uh, public pressure. So for example, the use of uh, video cameras um, yeah. that police officers use on their uniforms, that was because of uh, mainly public pressure. But yeah, normally police de departments are strapped for funds. And so any mm. adoption of new technology is really difficult. So you have to try to keep yeah. the product cheap and simple. And that's something that 
we wasn't willing to do, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, and so we didn't find a way to make a profit by just um, pursuing law enforcement agencies. Yeah. So that's, that's why really unfortunate. This, yeah. So that's why I didn't pursue it. But there's there's other avenues for the use of that technology. I just haven't pursued it. Yeah, that's a shame. Yeah. Yeah. Like what? So what do you do when you develop a technology? that you can't use can you like would you on sell it or do you just shelve the idea like just trying to figure out how that works I know <laughs> yeah I so I I was so enamored with this idea and with this technology and make bringing it to fruition um that I was really down when it was finally decided that this yeah. wasn't something that we should pursue um and so I decided to table that idea um, mm. in, in terms of thinking of other ways in which we can utilize that technology where it may be beneficial or maybe somebody might find it beneficial. Um, also yeah. at the same time, um, when I was, th- when I was created this company, I also had the idea, well, I could become like an independent researcher or I could be a faculty mm. member because a lot of professors, um, are starting to get into entrepreneurship and there were certainly examples yeah at the University of Illinois and at other institutions in which professors, they did research and they also pursued their uh, entrepreneurial companies with a lot of companies coming out of their laboratories. And so I was like, well, Absolutely. I could still do that as well. And so that's why I decided to ultimately um, go into more of an independent faculty career and uh, pursue entrepreneurship um, through this avenue. That's amazing. So is that kind of what's leading you towards sustainable lab? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that's a totally different and exciting direction. Um, so yeah. where Nardo technology was inspired by my experiences as a forensic scientist um, in Philadelphia, the pursuit of sustainability was really motivated from my experience as an analytical chemist at my first ever job leaving um, oh. Temple University. Yeah, so I worked at a refinery cool. yeah, in Philadelphia, and it was one of two major refineries. Um, the refinery I worked at, we made fine chemicals. So we made like acetone, phenol, which is a building block to make like polymers, it's also in like medicines, if you ever have a sore throat, one of the active ingredients is phenol and in other mm-hmm. different chemicals like that. And then we had a sister plant that um, was in South Philadelphia and they made gasoline out of fossil fuels. Now, one of the things yeah. that I noticed um, as working as an analytical chemist at the plant that I, um, in Philadelphia, so the other plant, was that we were right smack dab in a neighborhood. So if I ever walked past a security gate, I could see like a house not that far away. Like, yeah. So we were like surrounded by your neighborhood. And, you know, if I could smell phenol while getting out of the car, I could just imagine the residents and what, yeah. So I started thinking about that. Um, One of my roles was to analyze our wastewater periodically. Um, because we have mm. to do that um, because that's regulated um, for running these yeah. different refineries. And I just noticed different nasty things that we were developing to from fossil fuels to make these different chemicals were also getting mm. into our wastewater stream. And so I, yeah. I thought, you know, I, there must be a better way in which we can have more of a sustainable um, 
uh, economy where we could still have these different commodities like plastics and fuels and, you know, different technologies where we're not also hurting the environment and eventually human health. And so that really motivated the development of um, the sustainable lab. How do you transition from from a chemist to becoming a materials and chemical and like environmental engineer? I know. I, I kind of feel like I, I had just said that. I kind of feel like a imitator or something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not like I, I had just went to a dinner um, for chemical engineers. I went. I just came from this conference for chemical engineers, one of the largest conferences. And I was having dinner with um, somebody I ju- just met. He was like, I got a dark secret. I'm actually a solid <laughs> chemist. And I was like, <laughs> I'm a chemist too. So, um, you know, but I, I, I knew early on with developing this laboratory. So the thing about chemistry is that um, you have to be really enamored and in love with the science and really understanding a lot about sort of the minutiae um, of the chemical mm. reactions, for example. But I was more interested in more of the applied stuff. So yeah. what you know, kind of things we can learn from chemistry that will actually be applied in society or be useful for, you know, me, you and our families and friends to use. And so that really changed my mindset from being just a chemist. Also, my experiences at the refinery um, from just being a chemist and to being more of an engineer and engineering products that and processes that would be useful and applied to to our society now. That's very cool. Yeah. So to be able to make that shift, are there any, uh, do, you, do you have to go back to school? Do you need to kind of do a master's or, you know, how do you redirect down that route from having, you know, your professional background being chemistry? No, I mean, you know, the having the background of chemistry, I think, is really beneficial um, for being an engineer. I consider myself an engineer as well, even though I wasn't yeah. classically trained as one. And I think definitely the way that I think of problems um, certainly helped me fill in this engineering role. Um, so there isn't any further education. Trust me, I'm I'm learning. I definitely learning, <laughs> learning um, heaps all the time. Yeah, <laughs> all the time. Um, mm. <laughs> but um, so there's no further education needed. But certainly, the types of problems that we go after are more engineering endeavors instead of yeah. just like a chemistry type problem. Yeah, but Absolutely. The, I I would like to say that the positive of having a chemistry degree is I really have an appreciation for fundamentals and understanding like the chemical reactions and the different minutia of that and applying that knowledge to developing better products and processes that would be helpful for society. So I think it is a benefit to come from a chemistry background. Yeah, because you you develop those experiences. You've you've seen these things out in the field and yeah. are aware of where the shortfalls are and where the improvements could be made. Yeah, it, it's it's fascinating because so many people think that you know a life and a career is A to mm-hmm. B. You go, you do chemistry, you become a chemist. But because, as you said, it's there's so many parts of it. There's you know the pure analytical aspect, the lab aspect, mm-hmm. but there's also the applied aspect. And it's where you want to put that focus, which will direct you down the path of, you know, analyst versus engineer and all yeah. these other areas that you can explore. Yeah. 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 I totally agree. <laughs> 
So when you eventually came to starting Sustainable Lab, what were the ideas, you know, aside from things like what you experienced as an analyst, what were some of the things that you wanted to bring focus to for research? Yeah, um, so that's a great question. Um, So one of the things that I really like about chemistry is um, the applications to material science and how important that is to develop new materials. In particular, I wanted to develop better catalyst materials. So like the finery that I worked at, in order for us to convert fossil fuels to plastics, to acetone, to all these different fine chemicals, the main way we do that is the development of catalysts. And these are either Mm. nanoparticle materials or molecular structures that have the capabilities of speeding up chemical reactions really fast so we can make all of these really nice chemical commodities. And I wanted to utilize material science and chemistry to make better catalysts. So that's where we have more of the applied part. And not only that, make catalysts that can make these same chemical commodities that we make out of fossil fuels, but make that out of renewables. So make it out of biomass. So agricultural waste, make it out of greenhouse gases. Um, So it, it was really about still having us maintain the level and technical um, aspects of our society, but getting those products, our technology, our, you know, fossil fuels, all these uh, fuels, not fossil fuels, but fuels and different things (laughs) um, from renewable resources or from generally waste. That's awesome. Yeah. And it's closing loop because so much of the stuff that we do, like agriculture is a massive part of agriculture. We don't have a society we can't eat. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, being able to close a loop on yeah. some of those side effects of that industry is such a massive problem that a lot of people are trying to solve today. So, you know, I, I, I see that one of the things that you're working on is converting CO2 and methane into biofuels. Yeah. So, you know, aside from, you know, in my head, the agricultural kind of applications, what other applications are there? in different industries where that would be a thing that they need to use? Yeah. um, So we're we're primarily looking at two of the biggest greenhouse gas culprits um, and turning them into building blocks. So I I think this field is really exciting. We we talk about climate change. We talk about um, carbon capture and eventually storing it and storing it underground and And that, you know, we don't know what will happen by just storing a lot of CO2 underground. Who knows? We might turn Mm. into Mars. But (laughs) um, the premise for the sustainable lab is let's capture the CO2 and methane out of the air, but let's make very useful items out of those as well. Um, And so one of the things that we've been looking at is turning it into fuel. So you uh, you could turn CO2 and methane into like hydrogen if you want, or you could turn it into um, uh, like a, even into gasoline through um, other subsequent downstream reactions. Um, One of the things that we're really excited about is trying to convert CO2 and methane into ethylene. Now ethylene is a really important molecule. It's a very important building block for the chemical commodity industry because you could build so many different things from that. So like from ethylene, you can make ethanol. Like there's one reaction that you could do to make ethanol and that's very important for a lot of different aspects as well. 
But also from ethylene, you can make different polymers like polyethylene or polyethylene terephthalate, which is typically used to make water bottles. So we're trying to really make um, this building block material or molecule so that we'll be able to make all of these different finished products. And that's one of our main focus right now. That's awesome. Like, I, I just love how broad that application could be. I mean, because all of that stuff, like you said, it's a building block that's used everywhere in so yeah. many different ways. And we have a ton of CO2 and methane to, mm-hmm. you know, start working with as a foundation. Like this, this is very cool. I'm very excited about this. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> it's it's very cool, but it's also very challenging. And so yeah. that that's where the chemistry part becomes important because, um, you know, a lot of the chemical reactions that we utilize that can convert these greenhouse gases into these building blocks, um, the, the selectivity to those particular products, like to ethylene, is very low. So how do you develop yeah. a material that can improve sort of the output of this particular chemical that we want? And so that's really the mm. exciting part where a lot of chemistry comes into aspects of like, how do we optimize this nanoparticle to to do these special chemistries? Um, How can I influence how this um, different CO2 molecules are impinging on the surface so that we can create the right product? So I think um, that that's really the exciting part is that it's it's very challenging to do. It's not not, um, very straightforward, but um, it's very, very interesting to, to try to incorporate all of these different things, chemistry, material science, um, chemical engineering into making this optimal material. Yeah. There's another aspect that we're looking into, and that's really what can you do with agricultural and plastic waste. So plastic waste has really um, gotten into the news recently, but it's really been an exciting thing for the catalysis field. Um, Because what we realize, especially in the United States, like less than 5% of our plastics are actually being recycled. And so 95% of that plastic is going elsewhere most likely is ending up in the landfills or ending up in our environment. And, yeah, you know, now there's talks of like microplastics and all all of these things influencing our bodies. And so one of the things that we're looking at is, is there an alternative approach to recycling? Like plastics, for example, can you um, basically break down these plastics into building blocks of chemicals and then use use those as a building block as well to make other useful chemicals. Um, so that's what yeah. we're trying to do right now. Um, so we're developing different pyrolysis processes. That's essentially when you heat up the material in a very inert environment that doesn't have any oxygen and you could convert mm-hmm. it into a carbon substance and also an oil that comes out of it. Now the carbon substance We've been studying for its efficiency for water filters, which we find has been um, very useful in removing different industrial pollutants out of wastewater. And so that's something that we're actively looking into now. And I'm also looking into going into starting a company there. So that's the entrepreneurship part in which we're actually turning a waste product into something that's useful for society. And then on the other end is the oils that you can utilize from it. Um, you can actually upgrade that into a variety of different things like gasoline and different products. So um, we're, we're really excited about that uh, approach as well. That's amazing. Yeah. I love that. There's there's so many different avenues to explore Mm -hmm. with this and they all have the same foundations of 
yeah, just taking the waste that we have in society in the air and through, you know, byproducts of industry. And yeah, again, being able to close the loop on that system to try to, yeah, make that reusable and Mm -hmm. also reducing the amount of overall waste that's going up. It's amazing. I love it. Yeah, 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 because we're very wasteful. <laughs> and all, all of we these are. things are going in a landfill. And um, we're thinking we're talking about greenhouse gases. Um, one of the major greenhouse gases that come out of landfills are, is methane. And so when yeah. we have a lot of that in the air, um, that really contributes to global warming. It's even more potent, about 20 times more potent than CO2. So mm-hmm. the waste that we're generating is actually bad for the environment and it's getting worse and worse. And so what we're trying to do is seeing if we can, like you said, close the loop and develop an economy um, where we're utilizing that waste for reuse or making it into yeah. something else that's valuable for us to use as well. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So just recently I spoke to another uh, scientist and one of her areas of research previously was breeding low methanogenic clovers hmm. because it's a massive grazing crop for livestock. Oh, so wow. if you can reduce what's coming out as well. So it's like taking, you know, literally uh, catching the problem at both ends. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah, that's really interesting. And yeah, I have people yeah. have talked about, you know, how do you reduce methane emissions from like cows and maybe have yeah. them wear like masks or something. <laughs> Some really interesting ideas coming in that field as well. But yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's clearly a bigger problem that a lot of people aren't aware of. <laughs> then we can start to wind up with those okay. other questions that I mentioned. So. All right. What sort of hobby or interest do you have that is outside of your field of work? Okay. Um, so that's really interesting because I'm a <laughs> boring person. However, um, when I was younger, <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> but when I was younger, <laughs> I, was, um, I, I played the classical bass, so the upright bass. Oh, cool. And um, I actually purchased one. And so I'm trying to get back into that again and just play it. Oh, um, awesome. Some, you know, that's one of the hobbies that I'm trying to get into. Um, reading more, too. I, I love sci-fi novels. And I'm also a gamer. That's that's what I do in my downtime. Before this interview, oh, I was playing cool. Overwatch. So, yeah. Ah, nice. <laughs> so, yeah. That is yeah, those are three cool. things I like. <laughs> Thank yeah, you. Varied interests. There's nothing boring about that at all. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's cool. And which childhood book holds the strongest memories for you? The childhood book that holds the biggest memory for me is called Song of Solomon by Toni Morrison. And it was one of the first books that I read that introduced more of like African-American heritage with some sort of like superstition in a very interesting way. And I wouldn't say it's like, it's more like teenage book because it was a required Mm. reading in high school, but I really (laughs) liked that book from Toni Morrison because it it really introduced like the supernatural and um, African-American heritage. So I really enjoyed that book. Yeah. (laughs) That's awesome. I'm going to have to look that one up now. Yeah. <laughs> cool. 
And what advice would you would, would you give someone who would like to get into the field that you're in and what advice should they ignore? Oh, okay. Um, I think if you are interested in getting into the field of chemistry or applied chemistry or chemical engineering, definitely pursue it. Um, we need more diversified voices um, in cultural backgrounds and faces in this arena. I think it's definitely beneficial. I think I'm a testament to seeing how my personal background working as a chemist, seeing how these refineries that are centralized in different neighborhoods were influencing those local people as well. And I think that ultimately Mm -hmm. is what motivated me to get further in this field to go from chemistry to more of an applied aspect, which is engineering or what some chemists would say, the dark side. Um, (laughs) But um, I would say definitely pursue it. And I, my other suggestion is not to follow or, or listen to the naysayers. Um, Engineering or chemistry is inherently difficult. So if you find something difficult to understand, please ask somebody. Even scientists, it's we normal. have to, we YouTube and Google um, before, <laughs> before I prepare those lectures for my students. I'm Googling. So, you know, it's, it's okay um, if you have to do that. It's, it's a naturally difficult major or, or interest. And so if, it, if you find that it's too difficult, I would say definitely just push forward, try to find help, try to find tutors. Um, utilize YouTube and other <laughs> resources um, because honestly, that's what we're doing too. So, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so many people forget that that you know, yes, in in exams we don't have those resources in the real world. Yeah. We've got Google, right? Yeah. We're going to look things up. We're going to yeah. be asking other people for help. We're going right. to be, you know, needing the collaborative experience of learning yeah. in order to get further in what we're doing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And because you went into, you know, industry before returning to academia. Yeah. Did you did you struggle with that transition back from, you know, going from working out in field and coming back in through to research? Yes, I did. Um, so uh, actually the summer before starting um, the graduate program, I really, I went to the library daily um, and relearned simple things such as calculus or, you mm. know, even basic chemistry again, because one, if you don't use it, you lose it. Right. And so I had to yeah. regain that knowledge again. Um, and so the summer before, you know, I, I had to prepare myself for the onslaught of graduate classes. And then once I went through the graduate classes, I wasn't used to staying up to 1 a.m. to complete homework assignments. Um, and so I had to get used to to that type of schedule as well, because I, I was used to the nine to five <laughs> type yeah. of work schedule and you wind down, go home. Um, but I, I would say that first year, um, after, you know, transitioning from an industrial position to graduate school was probably one of the most difficult because I had to, to really um, catch up on knowledge in the chemistry field. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like it, it's such a massive change into a lifestyle and quality of life. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Yeah. Um, and those classes were rigorous. And so I really had to you know, figure out a way. So I, I would 
reading multiple books and things just to catch up that first year. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I would say it was a very difficult transition, but it only got better at, um, longer along the graduate program. So, yeah. And it, it's it's very cool that, you know, you've had this experience being an entrepreneur as a scientist mm-hmm. because so much innovation is coming out of all of these fields and being able to put them back into society somehow is, you know, ultimately the goal really of any scientist and researcher. So it's not a, entrepreneurism isn't really a thing they teach you at school in a formal way. Not yet. They're getting Mm -hmm. there. So as a scientist, what sort of things did you, how did you go about getting into, you know, starting your own business, becoming an entrepreneur and, you know, setting up the company. How how did you learn to get into that space, especially with grants and research and getting support for all that yeah. kind of stuff? Yeah. Um, so I, I got into entrepreneurship while I was a graduate student at uh, University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign, and they had this great resource of um, the startup incubator that had these different workshops and, and ways to get involved that would teach you how to start um, pitching your idea, um, how to you know um, build a business plan. And we even had the opportunity to go to Silicon Valley and visit other startups that were either software or hardware startups, and they were also alumni of the school and how they were doing. Um, and so mm. I, I really would say that the resources at the school was very beneficial for me to get a glimpse of how to transition from thinking like a chemistry uh, PhD student into a entrepreneur or a potential CEO that is, is trying to sell first this idea and hopefully build off of this idea a successful company. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I totally agree with you that those resources aren't naturally available. Uh, but Um, One of the things that I'm doing now as a professor is I'm trying to make them available for engineering students here at the University of California, Riverside, in terms of developing workshops for our engineering students. And so they learn these different skills because I think it's really important. You learn how to be a better communicator. You learn how to develop products that goes from the laboratory to actually in somebody's hands or, or, or potential uses. And I think that sort of mental exercise is both beneficial if you're trying to start a company, but it's also beneficial if you are a part of a company as well. Like if yeah. you're working for Microsoft, how do you innovate a new product or you or mm. any other company? How do you become entrepreneur as well? So you don't have to be entrepreneur, yeah. but you could be entrepreneur. So that's one of my efforts now as a faculty member is just trying to um, share these entrepreneurial skills that they learn and they can start companies if they like, but they can also be more entrepreneurial at whatever position that they go after they graduate. That's amazing. Like it's such an important skill set to learn. Yeah. And especially with, you know, academia, it's not, it's not easy, but all of the skills that you develop as an academic and as a researcher, are all completely transferable because, you know, at Mm -hmm. the higher levels, you're running labs or you're running teams, you've got to do project management budgets and all of these things. And these are all skills you need for entrepreneurship. And it's just changing or learning to adapt your mindset from lab focus 
to an external focus. And mm-hmm. as you said as well, intrapreneur, being able to figure out how, figure out how you can apply those skills internally yeah. to meet that greater goal. Mm-hmm. So important. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. And um, like you said, there's not that much resources, but, you know, we're trying to develop that so that um, students who are interested in entrepreneurship can pursue these different things, these different resources. And there's lots of them right now. Amazing. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> it's been so great. <laughs> All right. So, yeah, thank you so much, Leslie, for speaking with me today. This has been absolutely wonderful. And I've loved hearing your journey because it, yeah, it is indirect. Yeah. But, you know, you've had your experience in industry, entrepreneurship, you know, developing, being an inventor. Yeah. Because, you know, there's so much capacity for invention in all of these fields, no matter what capacity that, you know, we have in it. So if people would like to learn more about you, your work, where can they go? Yeah. So if you're interested in learning more about my work, you can go to um, our laboratory website, which is uh, the-sustainable-lab.com. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at the Waste Not Lab. (laughs) That's my Twitter handle. Or maybe not. That might be taboo now. Um, I'm also on on Mastodon as the Sustainable Khaleesi. So if you want to follow me on Mastodon, you could do that as well. (laughs) Love it. All right. Well, thank you so much again, Leslie. This has been absolutely an amazing conversation. And I hope you enjoy the rest of your evening. Yeah, likewise. Thank you for having me. And I hope you have a great evening as well. Yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure. To learn more about Leslie and what we discuss on the show, or to connect with us, please visit the Steampowered website at steampoweredshow.com. You can also find the Sustainable Lab at the-sustainable-lab.com and Leslie on Twitter at the Waste Not Lab and Mastodon, the links for which will also be in the show notes. If you enjoyed this conversation, please let us know. Subscribe to the show, leave us a rating, and share this with your geeky or geek curious friends. You can also support Steampowered on Patreon and the Steampowered Show, the links for which all will be in the show notes. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.